Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming back Suzanne Falter. Suzanne's a writer, podcaster, and essayist whose work has been featured in Self, O, More, Tiny Buddha, and the New York Times. She's the host of the Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women and has been heard widely on podcasts and radio, including Coast to Coast AM. She's the author of multiple self-help titles, including the Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care from Source Books. And you can find her at SuzanneFalter.com. Today, we'll be talking about her new memoir about to come out, Free Spirited. Welcome, Suzanne. Hi, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. So glad to be here. I'm happy to have you. And I feel as if, you know, I love when guests come back because um, we evolve over time, uh, you know, forever. Basically, <laughs> ideally, yes. Until, well, I mean, we don't know about you know after we die, but we sort of have a supposition that yes, we continue to grow and evolve. Both of you, both of you and I do. Yeah. Um, but I feel almost as if your memoir is a a prequel to the book that we talked about the first time because oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know <laughs> the, the the death of your daughter certainly did lead to that work that you did in the extremely busy, busy woman's guide to self-care yes well it did and it was a profoundly transformational experience and it took me eight years of working on it to really understand exactly what the full transformation was. And I didn't even know when I wrote uh, the self-care book, I was still in process with the whole thing. Um, but I knew, you know, just to just to recap again, uh, she had epilepsy and she dropped dead from a medically unexplainable cardiac arrest. I had had dinner with her a few hours earlier and when I went into the um, critical unit, uh, uh, so, uh, uh, you know, the neurotrauma unit at San Francisco General, and I saw her all covered with wires and wrapping and machines, and they were trying to save her life. And, you know, I just knew she was going to die. And I knew that this was going to be the beginning of a very profound transformation for me that I couldn't even begin to fathom. And, Sure enough, I mean, she was with me energetically through that experience, reassuring me. And I don't think I could have gotten through it or the subsequent grief where she was also very present for quite a few years. I mean, that's really what this memoir is about, because the self-care book was was really about practical self-care. It was about the things mm -hmm. you need to do when you don't know how to take care of yourself. And I didn't. So I had to learn it. <laughs> that was a that was like the starter uh -huh. layer. But underneath it all was all this profound access to my daughter in the afterlife. 
And I couldn't really wrap my head around it completely. It's been 10 years now, and I can really get it. I can get what happened then. But it was an energetic um, exchange, connection, uh, collaboration even, that went on and was demonstrated in many, many graphic ways, which is what the memoir is really about. I resonated so much on this level that, uh, you know, our, our circumstances are different. It was a partner who died after mm -hmm. a 10-year illness. We knew she was going to die, you know, all of that. Right, right. But um, I realized immediately in the process of her death that our relationship didn't end viscerally, but her body did. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when grief eventually came, it didn't come immediately for me, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I cried every day, but I didn't feel sad, particularly. I just had a lot going through me. Right. Um, but when it finally hit, it was about the loss of the things she had been able to do with her body. You know, the mm -hmm. co-parenting the holding, the affection, the mm -hmm. saying mm -hmm. words out loud, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and that has to be reckoned with. And I appreciated that even though you felt that really strong connection, which I, which I related to a lot, it did not mean no grief. Oh, no, no. In fact, I think she helped me grieve. That's what's really interesting uh. about this because uh, I would be crying, driving the car, and I, I, I began to get a very specific tingling feeling in my body when I felt Teal's energy around me. And I would never know when I was going to show up, but um, the tingling feeling would begin and my crying would lift and she would give me an insight you know, just relax, just relax while you're driving. And I would relax and I would start to cry again. Mm. And, and, you know, she also really made the point to me that she had nothing to worry about at all. She was doing mm. great. <laughs> and I was the one <laughs> who was trying to hold on to the old picture, the old experience. And hey, just a few days ago, I was decorating the Christmas tree and I had to have a sob that Teal wasn't there helping me do oh, it. Yes. You know, all and that's those, how all those imaginings that don't, don't absolutely. happen. You know, there'll never be a wedding, there'll never be grandchildren, all that stuff. And and I'm okay with it because this was this was her path. I I really got clear from this connection with her that she was fine with dying and could I just get with the program? And <laughs> and she might have even been a bit surprised at first. She really didn't know she was going to die. Although she had decided before her death, her next goal was to be a healer. And sure enough, she had a very powerful healing experience in a hostel in Morocco where she felt her body was being energetically charged by, by snakes that she envisioned wrapping around her body. It, they were all energetic. It was all imagined. But it was during a, a pre-seizure. She was having an epileptic experience that showed her this vision of these snakes. And when she woke up 24 hours later, 
the person who was with her said she was dramatically transformed, that she was so full of energy and light and inspiration and joy and, and you know, kind of a otherworldly light. And mm. that is what she was giving to me from the afterlife. That is really what I experienced in a way that makes me sound a little crazy, but... <laughs> This actually happened, people. I'm not kidding. (laughs) You know, here's the thing. Um, Many, many people that I work with as a therapist, myself, many people I'm close to in my personal life have had these types of experiences. But what you just mentioned, you know, the feeling people will think you're crazy or deluded or mm-hmm. in denial or something yeah, exactly um, right. means that we don't often have these kinds of conversations, at mm-hmm. least not publicly. But yes. of course, it's a very, very common experience, you know, and I don't, I don't really care uh, what happens when we die, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I know that I am connected, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not, it's not because of memory. Mm. It's 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 very present to me. Totally mm-hmm. different than being alive with a person. <laughs> you know, well, dramatic yeah. change of format, but <laughs> well, well it is a dramatic change of format and and you know, the lessons keep on coming because I think what you said at the beginning of the show was really the point that we keep evolving through our entire lives. Did I evolve as a result of losing my daughter? You bet I did. And I mm-hmm. became what I think is a more sensitive, more compassionate person first towards myself, but ultimately, I think, towards other people. And I became weirdly so much happier. That's the craziest thing. Isn't Tend that, to, yeah, deep I'm, grievers are the ha- some of the happiest people I know if they've well, really Thank you for it. saying that because, you know, you think, I mean, there are many people out there who think your life is over if a child dies. But you've got and to just understand so, that's it's, their path, you know? <laughs> uh, well, the thing is, it's it's kind of both. Uh, I mean, I haven't lost a child. I lost a partner, right? So right. that is a, a difference. I have three kids, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you, what you haven't experienced, you can't imagine entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I do resonate with the idea that there's a... F- Coming to terms with the fact that we die and mm-hmm. that that could happen at any time, really coming to terms with that is uh, very freeing to in it Absolutely. was for me anyway. Absolutely. It, was, it has been freeing for me, and I know it has been for my son, Teal's brother, who went on to work first as, um, you know, EMT and driving ambulances and such. And take note, an EMT and ambulances rushed my daughter to the hospital when she had this cardiac Mm -hmm. arrest at her at her home. And then he went on to work in a morgue doing autopsy uh, tech work. And and there was no saying what happened to Teal. In fact, her death certificate says cause unknown because this was her time. She had to go. And it doesn't even matter why. What matters was how she was changed, how I was changed, and how we have been able to partner, continuing and onward. 
Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, which we already are a little bit, uh, could you read from the book about the actual moment that Teal died? Sure. Um, So I was sharing that I had this experience before her actual physical death where I felt her soul leave her body. And... um, her her father had just dreamt of her walking away, smiling at him and walking away with her hands in her pockets, very relaxed. And I and I wrote this. <clears throat> it was on that incredible afternoon when so much light and love poured through my own body that I became for one brief moment incandescent. The heavens opened in my own small heart and I could suddenly feel compassion. I'd never known before. I fell in love with humanity and with all that is, and I lost my resistance to the very fiber of life. For once, my tortured story was no longer interesting to me. Instead, a fantastic universal web of truth, beauty, and love held me fast in its grip. And that afternoon, as I wandered through the hospital, feeling the pain, the joy, the worry, and the fear, Of all that I saw, Teal told me, I could hear her telling me, this was called the universal field of love. For the first time in my life, I felt myself to be part of something infinitely vast. Gone were all my material concerns. Gone was the need to know how everything would turn out. I mean, I still like to know how things are going to turn out a little bit. That was in well, that we, moment. We are, <laughs> we are, we are humans on yeah, spirits having a human experience, right? Exactly. <laughs> but to continue, but, uh, to continue. Instead, I was released in a pure, sweet moment of being of infinite love, and it was the very same wide-eyed freedom with which Teal lived her life. I stepped onto the path of my personal redemption, almost eager to learn what would happen next. And only now did I fully understand God had come for me as well. You know, uh, I'm thinking about a number of things at once, so we'll see which ones (laughs) ones make the cut here. But um, I'm thinking about that space, which I experienced with all of my children not every moment, of course, but you know, when they're first born, and I'll bet you've had this with your children where it's sort of timeless and you're just mm. in this, you could gaze forever mm. if 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 practicality didn't didn't rush in. Mm-hmm. And it it feels to me, I, I had a teacher who used to say there are injuries to everybody, our physical, our emotional. Our, our thinking body, but there's only one injury to the spiritual body, which is the illusion of separation. Ah, brilliant. And uh, I really, that really came to mind as you were reading that, just that um, you were experiencing oneness, mm. it, it, it appears to me. Well, I was. I was. Yeah, yeah. And and in a different part of the book, I describe in a little more detail what happened because I was sitting there with her, I and I felt her her spirit lift out of her body and go into the ethers. And as I did, I started to really have that sort of, you know, come to Jesus moment that people talk about where they just really feel the larger truth of the universe. 
And I went, I, I took a break at that moment. Um, and I went out into the hospital and I walked around and every person I saw, I could feel their auric energy around them. I could see where they were sad, where they were happy, where they were nervous, where they were excited. I could feel into their hearts. It was a profound experience and connection. And that was a gift from Teal. It, it's almost like, um, Mom, here are the previews. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> No, I know that may not be how you think of it, but you know there are the. I had these blessed moments um, in the in the period right after my wife died, where I could see that I would be able to get there. Yep, yep. You know that that I I had the feeling, uh, and I I had a spiritual uh, went to a spiritual gathering you know, 10 months in or something, same experience. Oh, yeah, this is the place you can be. I just mm -hmm. have to also grieve. But uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's very, um, you can't mistake it. I mean, it's a, it's a very um, unusual experience that you can cultivate and have more of. Um, I would say I had similar things when my parents died you know once you have the reference point uh, uh, as soon as you make the time you can go back there yes you know cheryl um the only other time i've really gone into that place that this sort of margin of life between this side and the other side which is really what it is is around um, the organ transplantation world. Her organs were transplanted and um, a young woman not much older than her got her heart and her kidney, which I also write about in the book because I got to know her and her mother. And her mother, I got to know quite well and even did some speaking. And so I became a speaker in the transplantation world, speaking to people who save lives every day, who request organs from suddenly, you know, grieving families who do extraordinary work, extraordinary. And I got to know some of these folks and they are totally on the edge of life and death all the time in a very grounded, very calm, very serene, and very beautiful way. I, I just was so extraordinarily struck by it. They get I, it I, and they live it. I, I know I know someone who's a, a kidney transplant surgeon. Oh yeah, and, there you go. And he certainly does have that does have that quality quality you're talking about. Maybe in a in a little more of a practical gear than mm -hmm. you and I are talking mm -hmm. about in terms of these beloved people that we that we lost and what that invited us us into but uh, I I understand what you're talking about with that energy mm. for sure um so when we we're about to have, have a break um when we come back I would like to spend a little time talking about how you navigated sort of living life. You talk about it a lot in the book, and I think it's really important. How you navigated living life while having both the profound 
spiritual experience you were having. And of course, grief also is spiritual in its own way, but those two sides of that coin. Let's talk about mm. that when we get back. Absolutely. Listeners, listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Suzanne Falter, go to SuzanneFalter.com. It's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-F-A-L-T-E-R.com. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Suzanne Falter about free-spirited the book she wrote about the change in her after her 22-year-old daughter died. And before the break, Suzanne, I was I was um, kind of cueing that. I'd like to talk about the sense that I experienced and lots of people experience of sort of having to continue to navigate everyday life and mm. all the changes that come when you have a loss and be in this kind of awakened state and be crying a lot and you know it's it's a lot to manage wouldn't you say so well, i just I would be- i would <laughs> but you know the crazy thing was i was really taken care of 
because prior to her death, I had just closed my incredibly hectic, intense business. I had just gotten out of a very toxic relationship and with it went the place I lived. So I didn't even have a place to live. And everything had just been taken away in one fell swoop from my life. Mm. And Mm. in a way that sounds like the most horrible thing you can think of. But to me, it was liberating because I realized I didn't have to worry about showing up for work tomorrow. I didn't, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I've always run my own businesses. So I knew, you know, I had some money in the bank. I had some savings. I knew I could, when the time was right, I could start again. The the business I was going to run suddenly seemed blatantly wrong. It was it was an, a tremendous period of reassessing my values and really getting in touch with what was okay and what was not okay. And what was not okay primarily was that relationship and the work I had been doing. And I was suddenly thrilled that they were over and wanted nothing more to do with any of it. And I knew I needed to rest and I needed to grieve. So I rented a room in someone's house. I stopped all work. I lived on my savings and I spent as little money as possible for two years. And conveniently during that time, a relative died and left me a small inheritance. So that gave me a little bit of mojo. I I just kind of went with the flow, I think is the best way to put it. Because for the first year, and because I was a workaholic, of course, I tried to work my way through it and that crashed and burned. I was trying to start the business or any business or some kind of business or, hey, can I just do something and make a little money here? <laughs> and and the universe was like, and, no. And feel familiar, <laughs> and feel familiar to, to yourself, maybe. Exactly. Too. And the universe was like, no, you won't be doing that. I launched a website and immediately it was hacked into And the learning area of the course I'd launched was hacked. Everybody who had bought it wanted a refund immediately. And the hacking went on five times because we kept trying to rebuild the online learning area. It was like, I finally gave up. I said, okay, forget it. I won't rebuild it. I'm (laughs) done with that. Lesson learned. You You can't push an agenda that is inherently wrong. The next lesson I learned was to ask for help. And I found my way into support groups and I was doing recovery work in the 12-step world around some issues I had that I'd never addressed. I was going to grief group for parents who'd lost children. I was going to a hospice and working with a grief counselor where I found this wonderful thing, which is hospices provide free support groups and free one-on-one counseling to people who are grieving, even if they didn't lose their person in a hospice. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, wow, there's so much here for me. And I also found the shocking thing that you don't need much money to be just fine. Um, I lived <laughs> I, I lived with my friend Linda. Past the point of subsistence, right? Well, pretty much. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I had Trader Joe's and I had a cheap health club and I knew how to take walks and swim in the local town pool. I was up in the, in the country in Sebastopol and... Uh, first, I, I moved in with my friend Linda finally for free and lived in her guest room. And all of it was just what I needed to do. It was, it was a bold move, but it allowed me to do this very important processing. I think if I had rushed into some kind of job, 
I wouldn't be able to have integrated the lessons and evolved the way I knew I knew I needed to. I knew I needed to be a better person. And that's really what what the learning has been, you know, the the, the learning about this. I'm kind of reviewing in my mind the different circumstances of different people I've worked with in grief, uh, which is many, many, many people, but some are coming to mind, Um, which um, the people whose practicality does not allow that kind of swimming Mm. uh, that I think you're describing suffer more. They do get there, but it's, it's a lot more suffering. Um, you know, I'm thinking of people who um, certain things maintain and they and they keep trying to do it. Uh, often it quits on them at some point and then it's, you know, a whole shocking yes. situation. Yes, yes, yes. Um, right. And, you know, just all the different ways that um, people who don't economically have a possibility of because they wouldn't have the money to go buy the food in Trader Joe's, right? Right. Um, uh, certain certain things about life push us to not follow the flow. And of course, you had previous. You say you didn't, but I get the impression you did have some experience with flow because an entrepreneur has to. Oh, oh, yeah. No, no, no. I I have kind of flowed a lot. And the real, you know, master at flow was Teal herself, who didn't have a profession beyond the fact that she was an incredible singer. And she took her little guitar and she went out on the street all over the world and busked and sang for people. And that's how she made a living <laughs> in her brief life. And uh, really didn't need much. When when she died, I had just asked her, hey, do you need some money? And she said, oh, no, I'm all set. And in fact, the grim truth was she had $2 in her wallet and nothing in the bank. And she just bought groceries and she was waiting for a paycheck that didn't arrive for three more weeks. So <laughs> that's being in flow. <laughs> I you know, just, it, it, makes, it makes me wonder, too, because, of course, Getting a diagnosis like epilepsy, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which was what she was dealing with before the heart, her heart gave out. Mm-hmm. Um, it does change your perspective. Like she had already had her perspective changed somehow about what was Very important much. and what wasn't. Very much. And, um, how did that impact you? That she, I, I mean, she sounds as if she was rather a free spirit her whole life. But mm-hmm. I have to think that diagnosis much must have impacted her in some way to be so young and to to deal with something that's threatening, you know, maybe she, she was the big thing for her epilepsy was getting the drugs right, which it often is for people with epilepsy. And she had found a drug which made her feel closer to God. It was a drug called uh. zanisamide. And she felt that there was something about the way it stilled her brain when she was going into spaces where her brain would become hyperactive and want to go into a seizure. Um, The zanisamide 
had the experience of making her feel more connected to God. And the day before her collapse, she said to me, Mom, I think I'm going to have a really big seizure. And I said, well, why don't we go down to um, the doctor and get this checked out right away? And she said, oh, no, they're just going to tell me I'm going to have to change my meds, and I don't want to. These make me feel more connected to God. (laughs) But that was her language. I mean, she was... Like I said, she wanted to be a spiritual healer. That was the path she was on. And I just want to share with you a little tidbit from the book, if I can. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that was hardest for me when I was going through this period was not knowing what was going to happen. I really didn't know how I was going to make a living next. I was really trying to be surrendered. I didn't know what would happen if I ran out of money. And sometimes I got really worried. And one day I was in my little my little room and I was worrying. And I heard her, I heard her kind of ripple through my body with her energy. And I heard her little laugh in my ear. And she said, clean out your inbox. And I'm like, what? And, you know, she I had an inbox. Yes, I had an inbox. And it had about four inches of papers that I had not cleaned out in all the moves I'd been making from place to place. So I cleaned out my inbox. And uh, here's what I wrote about it. I said, two hours later, I looked up from my reverie. Receipts, invoices, instructions, mementos, letters, more were stacked into neat piles on the carpet all around me. I'd nearly gotten to the bottom of the inbox, but I still wasn't clear why she'd asked me to do this. I'd uncovered nothing of importance beyond papers waiting to be dealt with. Still, one last remaining document lay at the bottom of the wire basket face down. I pulled it out and turned it over. And in that moment, I understood completely what this had all been about. In my hands was a letter Teal had written to me on our last Christmas together. It had been part of her gift to me, along with a hula hoop, as it turns out, that she had made. (laughs) At the time, I'd stuck it in my inbox and probably forgotten it, but here it was now and more precious than ever. And this is the letter. Dear Mom, thanks for everything. I was trying to figure out what to get you, but all I could come up with was dot, 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 you'll see. So I also chose to write you a note. When I did my healing last year, Ambujam, who was the healer she met, she pulled up all this stuff about you and me. She said, basically, in past lives, we had always clashed. And in this life, we were not supposed to. We are supposed to be leaders in love and light, supporting each other. So from now on, I support any light leadership you have to bring to the world. And I'm currently on my spiritual healing discovery quest. So we'll see what comes out of that. So let's be leaders of light, y'all. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for supporting me and all the love you send my way. I love you, Teal. So that was a very incredible moment for me. Incredible. Incredible because I realized that all of this surrender was towards something, that what was happening was that I was on a path. It just felt like a really loose path, but I was moving towards something, and it was that life leadership, and I believe that that's what this is right here and right now. This is me and Teal being leaders in light together, and it's very much embodied in Free Spirited. 
It's so interesting because you've you've brought up a metaphor I use in my work a lot, which mm-hmm. is, um, you know, being on the path. Well, mm-hmm. that presupposes that there is a is a path that is well defined, and you're trying to get on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but grief to me is more like bushwhacking. No, <laughs> good analogy, Cheryl. Right on. I mean, you're not. There's no path, but you do have some things like a, you know, machete and a, I don't know, this and that. Your your good pair of eyes, hopefully, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. or your hands. You know, you have things, but you don't know where you're going. Mm. And there's and there's no path to get back to. At least that's how I experienced it. The more I just said, oh, this is happening now. Oh, mm. that, that's happening mm. now. The better mm. I did. Does that resonate for you? Absolutely. I, I had no choice in this particular moment in my life but to let go of the structure, let go of the heavy-duty demands I was putting on myself and others around me. I was alone. You know, two years prior, I had moved from upstate New York to San Francisco. I had come out as a lesbian. I had left my 25-year marriage. My son was a senior in high school on the other side of the country. And uh, my daughter was, you know, launched out into the world, just traveling. And, you know, I, I, I had no structure. Suddenly, I was in serious, free, wide open, you know, there's nothing to see here, open space. And that open space allows you to listen to yourself in a way you never have before. Most of us are afraid of it. But I found that it was extraordinarily healing. And Teal's example of how to decide on a Tuesday that on Thursday you're going to go to Bangkok from your <laughs> well, you're sitting in your little bedroom <laughs> in upstate New York and you've got your $700 in your pocket from waitressing. Why not go to Bangkok? See what happens. You know, that was kind of how she rolled. She'd just go to the airport with money in her pocket, pick a place and go. And thought nothing of it, except that, oh, yeah, well, that's how I travel with my guitar. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and you with your pen and paper in Paris for two months. Um, oh, yeah. When we get back, I want to talk about serendipity because just because we have it doesn't mean everything goes perfectly. But but we know what feels right. And mm-hmm. um, and then that to me tends to lead to serendipitous moments. Mm-hmm. So can we t- talk about that when we get by back? By all means, by all means. <laughs> so listeners, you can go to weatheringgrief.com or the Good Grief host page, just a little uh, a little invitation to follow the link for my, my novel, An Ocean Between Them, related subject, of course. And to find Suzanne Falter, Go to SuzanneFalter.com. And Suzanne, they should just go to Amazon to pre-order the book. Right. The book's on pre-order. It's called Free Spirited, two words. If you uh, type in Free Spirited Falter, F-A-L-T-E-R, in the Amazon search box, it will pop right up. Great. Back after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, 
working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Suzanne Falter about her book, Free Spirited, about to come out. And before the break, Suzanne, I I began to talk about the underlying theme of serendipity throughout your book. You mentioned Mm -hmm. some of it, you know, that you just at that moment had some money to fall back on. Mm -hmm. You just at that moment kind of cleared the decks, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That gave you room for what you needed to do. And the other place in which I was so deeply aware of serendipity was in uh, Teal's transplant story. Mm-hmm. And and what ended up happening, not right away, which I think is typical, you know, I think mm-hmm. you actually do do have to wait a period of time, don't you, to oh, yeah. mm-hmm. see if the other person is interested in meeting you and all of that. But can yeah. you can you talk some about the um all of the serendipitous events? Uh, that that happened around you meeting her recipient and her recipient's mom because it was very moving to me. Thank you. Um, it was so extraordinary to realize that there was even an impact from saying a very easy yes, we're happy to donate her organs at the time of her death. The way Teal died, she was on life support for six days before they could 
actually do the tests that would verify that her brain was damaged from oxygen deprivation because she had collapsed, cardiac arrest, and was not revived for 15 minutes, but she had a young heart, so her heart came back. And Mm -hmm. in fact, her heart was fine, but her brain had been destroyed by lack of oxygen. And that is what Mm -hmm. often happens in situations like this. So because of the way she died, she was an especially good candidate um, because they need the organs to constantly be kept alive through um, life support to be viable. And uh, she ended up donating um, to four or five different people. Uh, You can donate up to 60 organs and tissues when your body goes. And that's a lot of people that you'd help. I have no idea how many people she helped through uh, cornea transplant, you know, tissue transplants, bone transplants. There are many things that happen. But uh, yeah, we gave her body um, to to be donated. And, um, you know, you're not allowed to contact anybody for a year because they uh, the only names you are given are people who received her organs. And only if they are interested in contacting you, basically what happens is you're given their info if they want to hear from you. So um, there were several people who received her organs who did not want to hear from us. And then there was this one young woman who was 27 at the time of the transplant. She had had uh, congestive heart failure for eight years, and uh, she was close to death three different times during that eight years. And her mother had been by her side through the whole thing. And because of her transplant, she was able to go live a normal life again, not tethered to her mom, going back to college, having a career doing many, many things she's wanted to do. And today she works in a hospital. She is a uh, x-ray technician. Um, uh, excuse me. She's not an x-ray technician. She's a cardio technician. She does oh, uh, cardio stenography. Wow. Exactly. And <laughs> she got into cardio stenography because of all of the ultrasounds and, and uh, tests that were done on her own heart. She got used to seeing it. And in fact, she said to me when I finally met her, the most extraordinary thing about receiving Teal's heart was it was an, a, a super perfect fit. Usually, she said people get sort of Frankenheart, you know, because they basically take the top of the diseased heart and they that's where all the ventricles and things are, and they attach it to the donated heart. Mm-hmm. And um, theirs was a perfect fit. And when she was studying to be a cardiostenographer, she and her classmates loved looking at her heart because it was so cool how perfectly it all fit. Mm -hmm. Um, What was really especially neat was that her mother, I met her mother and Amara, her name, Amara and Debbie, her mom, on a beach, the beach where Teal's ashes had been scattered, which Amara wanted to meet there, which just blew my mind, Ocean Beach in San Francisco. And um, we went to dinner, my wife and I, and these two. And, um, you know, they told me the whole story of how Amara had been saved. And afterwards, I showed them a video, a really beautiful video I have on my website of Teal singing. And I don't know, we just, we all cried a lot. You're you're in the love bucket. (laughs) Oh, you're in the love bucket. So in the love bucket. The next day, her mother 
called me up or texted me and said, you were talking about how you give talks to people in organ transplantation. And if you ever want me to join you on stage, I will. She said, I'll probably need a diaper, but I could learn how to do it because she was so sure she would just be completely terrified having never given a speech in her life. So we went through this unbelievable process of her telling me the whole story. And it is such an incredible story about the day that uh, Amara got Teal's heart. And one of the really cool things, which I write about the book, was about how uh, after the eight hours of surgery attaching the heart, Debbie went into the recovery room to see Amara and she was asleep but she could sort of just, you know, check in and see her, but she was glowing. She mm-hmm. had a golden glow. Debbie said it was as bright as a pair of headlights all around her body. And Debbie Debbie said to the nurse, hey, she's glowing. And the nurse said, well, yes, she has circulation in her cheeks. And Debbie's like, no, 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 no. I'm not seeing circulation. I'm seeing something <laughs> else. And her sister then walks in the room and says, huh, she's glowing. <laughs> Just uh, like that. Those two are so calm. I would have been like, ah, she's glowing. Is that, is that a problem? <laughs> Why is she glowing? Anyway, um, it, it it is just such a cool thing to know that this simple request and the, you know, simple answer, yes, has created a whole different life for somebody who is doing extraordinary things and living the life of her dreams. And I feel like I did so little, but it turned out to be so much. Well, I mean, we could say what makes it so big is doing it at that moment, right? If people haven't Mm -hmm. really thought about it in advance, it's a big ask, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. For sure. But, But also, something that stood out to me, you may consider it a lesser part of the story, but you wanted to pressure Debbie to do the speaking with you. Yes. Oh, God, I went through so much because I worried. You see, she was she was new at this, and I had been a speaker for 20 years. And you don't just get right out of the, um, you know, uh, beginner camp and get up right. on stage and easily deliver a talk. But the first gig we had was 300 nurses at the Oakland City Center. And... Um, I said to Debbie, look, you don't have to do this. I, I don't want to bother you with this. She said, I want to do it. I want to do it. If I need a diaper, I'll tell you. You know, I mean. <laughs> yeah, she came back to you. <laughs> Talk about going with the flow, because had you pushed her, I think it wouldn't have gone as tremendously well as it went, for one thing, right? Oh, and, and she and- was great. She did great. Again and again, we did multiple talks together, and she was great every single time. I have a, a, a friend who uh, has cystic fibrosis. She, mm-hmm. she and her twin both had it. They both got transplants. Her, her twin died uh, some years ago, but she's still living. And um, the, the depth and importance of that gift to them is spoken of so often and you know every uh on the anniversary of her transplant she mm. always um puts a picture up of him, of the the young man who donated mm. i think he died in an accident she's gotten to know the family 
And when she she does things like um, CF sporting events and stuff. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, she got her lungs uh, back. Mm-hmm. She, she also learned how to play the bagpipes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and um, she's always doing it in honor of him. I mean, it's so, that experience is so remarkably ple- present with her. Because uh, mm-hmm. it's not an experience, it's her life. Mm. You know, it, it's yeah. life and death. Um, so, you know, it's it's worth thinking about in advance. I guess we'll... <laughs> I guess we'll kind of leave it there. Yeah. You know, honestly, I just think that this is an opportunity everybody has is to, you know, get that little heart on your driver's license or whatever it looks like in the state you live in and, and agree to donate your organs. I never thought much about it. I was like, well, sure, I'll do it. And Teal had never said because who thought Teal would die at such a young age? Nobody. Right. You know, so um, it was interesting because at the time her brother wasn't so sure. And he's a scientific guy. So he made the transplantation folks spell out every single thing that they would be doing with her body. And I mean, you know, it can be a little graphic. I don't think those are details everybody wants to hear about at the time of their loved one's passing. So they were judicious, you know, but he really needed to know. And then he had to talk to the nurses, like exactly what will happen at the time of her death and so forth. And um, he went with it to his credit. He He's more of a, a, a scientific inquiring person. Mm-hmm. And my former husband and I, we immediately agreed, but we also respected him. And we really talked it through. And we went to lunch. It, spent, it took a couple of hours. And... Um, you know, then then it was a go. And I am so glad we did it because it's mm-hmm. a wonderful thing that I have been able to be connected to these folks. And for a long time, Debbie and I talked every week um, just to stay in touch with each other. And, and um, I hold a very special place in my heart for those folks. You know, it's, it's sort of a, a really dramatic example of what I talk about on this show, that, that the, the, the most grievous losses sometimes have an unexpected and beautiful outcome. Indeed. Uh, Absolutely. um, You know, a a young woman lived out of, that's what happened, right? Mm -hmm. Your daughter died and she lived, which she was not going to do. And, and, you know, you could say that maybe Teal's job as a healer was complete after she donated her organs and tissues. Or... You could say it was just one more little manifestation of Teal's healing gift. Well, I, I guess you would say for sure that it was not complete because she wants you to do it with her. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, I'll do whatever she wants. I'm open. I'm just sitting here. You know, I got nothing I, to do. I mean, it's I, like, great, let's that, be healers. <laughs> right? I know that every week... Uh, when I do this or when I'm working with clients, mm-hmm. it's always in honor of my wife. It's always. Oh, with yeah, her. absolutely. Always. Never would be doing this otherwise. Well, me and same with me and my podcast, you know, because I'm one of my you've done years and years of this. So have I all that self-care material that's out there. And, you know, a lot of people go and listen to it and they download it and they go back to this subject and that subject. Right. That is Teal's healing work. That's how I see it. That's and I right. think that's how I'm we gonna, keep ourselves on I'm, the path. 
right? I agree. And I'm going to wrap it up because we're out of time. It's been lovely talking with you. Go to to SuzanneFalter.com or Amazon to see Free Spirited uh, to pre-order your copy. And next week, I'll have Jane Pillimer. We'll be talking about her picture book, Still Mine, a book about loss for four to eight-year-olds. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.